you've been to the aquarium twice this week. Twice. <laughs> the National Aquarium. So I've seen so many porpoises. I, porpoises. <laughs> dolphins, really. <laughs> I've seen some um, miniature alligators. What are they called? Cayman? Oh, yeah. Miniature crocodiles are Cayman. I've seen seahorses. I've touched jellyfish. It's I like been... that at the aquarium you pick porpoises and Cayman. That's <laughs> your two highlights. What are, what are your highlights? The sharks? Uh, I do like the shark exhibit. Our shark exhibit the is black, pretty good. And the black tip reef shark exhibit is good. Like oh, when are you talking about the Australian in, one? No, like when you first walk in, the big pool that used to have the turtle. The sea turtle? Oh, the sea turtle Calypso's not there anymore? She passed away during COVID. <gasps> no. Yeah, but they got this beautiful leopard shark to go in there that I'm going to show you. It's exciting. Yeah. I mean, I was really sad to lose Calypso, but look at this. Ooh. A beautiful okay. shark. This looks like Paige's cat. Yes. I will say that whole area in our aquarium is a highlight for Top me. Top notch. It is like this giant open pool that like... It's just really serene in there. It's very dark, but like the pool is very bright. I don't know. It's just cool. And we used to have Calypso. She was a three-legged finned, one might say. Three-finned. <laughs> um, sea turtle. Sea turtle. I was going to say tortoise, but I was a like, she's not a tortoise. sea turtle. Um, yeah, she had lost a fin in an accident. And like many aquariums and zoos, it's a research center. Yeah. So they were uh-huh. nursing her back to health. And she lived in our aquarium for years, but she passed away during COVID. Uh-huh. You know, I was actually thinking, so Casey might have, uh, fiance, might have the whole day off for our birthday coming up. Fun. So I was like, what if? What if? We went to the aquarium during the day. You're going to spend $2,000 to go there. million. Mm-hmm. It's so fucking expensive. It because is. Because Fridays after five, prices do not take a dive anymore. No. Uh, those days are long gone. Yeah, but it's better to go during the day when you might confront one field trip instead yeah. of a million stupid people. Yeah. Cannot deal with everybody on the weekends um yeah when, and is your birthday on monday yeah then go yeah. because field trips aren't going to be a monday no. it'll be like a tuesday or a wednesday exactly i feel like we're going to be the only people in the aquarium it'll be so fun <gasps> you and like one mom with her three toddlers and she's going to look so stressed and you guys are going to like hold hands and kiss and she's going to be like Ugh. i hate my life and we're gonna i think we're gonna have dinner in locust point so oh, what if perfect we take the water taxi yeah to and from do I love the water taxi. Yeah, it's perfect. Anyways, we're not here to talk about <laughs> my birthday and my husband's birthday being on the same day coming up. Adorable. We're here to talk about her street. <laughs> on the rocks. Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we're not historians. We Google. We yes. listen to podcasts. But we don't really know what we're saying. No, we are parrots at best. <laughs> parrots of all the just all the information about these people. I was so. at the aquarium today and I can tell you that that's a macaw. <laughs> <laughs> Not a parrot. Not a parrot, Katie. <gasps> Duh. What? Macaw. That's so what their... is a parrot? Same. It's their scientific name. Oh, a macaw. I so think now, they're is the a parrot same. an umbrella term? I don't know. I think McCall might be an McCall umbrella term. McCall might be the umbrella term. Kind of like okay. porpoise. Porpoise. <laughs> well, my porpoise is to get into this episode. <laughs> Whoa. So, Whoa. Dad jokes on the rise. <laughs> so before we get into these stories, we have to do a little something because you're on a field trip. You're so busy. You're busy. You're trying to like... You know that the tour guide is right there, but you have already heard all the information you can. So you have your headphones in, but secret, secret, 
So you're listening to us while the tour is going on. Mm. But you can't bring out your phone and Google what these women look like because then they're going to know you're not listening to the tour. And how embarrassing. <laughs> how embarrassing for you. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to describe what these women look like. We're going to get a little physical. Physical. <laughs> All right. That's a bad one. <laughs> Who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Mary Ellen Pleasant. Mary was an am- had an ambiguous look about her. Mm-hmm. She is perhaps the most powerful woman from the 1800s. Wow. She was most likely biracial as she could pass for white or just very, very light-skinned black. Um, but, like, it was also very believable that she was white, but also believable that she was black, like, when you look at her. Uh-huh. She used both personas during her life, depending on what she needed at the time. We have pictures of her from her later years when she was, like, famed, and she has, like, kind of these deep-set eyes with really large eyelids, and they're kind of close set together. Um, she had brown hair that she wore in Victorian style. She wore Victorian-style dresses, mostly that were black and a lot of her pictures, um, specifically her middle-aged ones, have that, like, white lace mm, thing that's mm-hmm. like a veil, but it just it looks like you put it on for a portrait, and that's it. Perfect. That is what Mary Ellen Pleasant looks like. Okay. Although the newspapers definitely portrayed her like a, quote, mammy, oh, which is upsetting. Okay. So I am doing Amelia Bloomer. So the picture that we have of uh-huh. Amelia is Yay! That, <laughs> that of a middle-aged woman. She has kind of a square face, downturned eyes, and a thin mouth with laugh lines. Her hair is tight and wavy and pulled back and parted in the middle. Um, but more famously, we have some drawings of her that were actually technically wood stamps. So these give her face a much more petite and doe-eyed look. But one thing is common throughout all the depictions of her uh, physical appearance. She is wearing a kind of dress that only goes down past the knees. And underneath are these billowy pants known colloquially as bloomers. <laughs> Wait, what did she do? <laughs> so excited. Yeah, I, I so can't wait. very fun. All right. She sounds cute. What are we drinking? I am drinking. You are too. <laughs> it's called Gold is a Woman's Best Friend. Ooh. Uh, and it is whiskey, honey. You can use lemon or grapefruit juice. I was out of lemon juice. <laughs> so Because this is, it's a takeoff of a cocktail called the Gold Rush. Oh, okay. Um, and orange bitters. But then, to make it even more fun, I sugared the rim and added gold schlager. <gasps> Excellent. So it is Cheers. fun, fun, fun. Mm. I actually like it with the grapefruit juice. I like it too, mm. um, and I struggle with whiskey, so yeah. I think the gold slugger really m- mutes it a little. Yeah, well, it's such a strong cinnamon flavor mm-hmm. that actually it's like, I don't know, I think it's fun. I like it. I like it a lot. Mm. So what do you know about Mrs. Mary Ellen Pleasant? I really don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's very famous. Um, I She should be more famous, honestly. Yeah, I... I don't, I don't know anything. I know she's in the 1800s, so maybe she had something... 
I don't know. I don't, yeah. I, I don't. So much happened in the 1800s that I can't really pick one particular. Yeah, the 19th century was pretty much bananas. And yeah. every time I got to like a piece of her story, I was like, oh, this must be the end. Oh, this must be the end. And it just like literally never was. And I was like, wow, I could have researched this woman for like multiple weeks because even like the different historians I listened to like were disagreeing on certain facts. Interesting. Um, so I watched a documentary that was made in 2008 called Meet Mary Pleasant. It's on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. You have to either rent or buy it. It was fine. Um, there was some other stuff on YouTube that was free that I, <laughs> I would suggest instead. Yeah. Um, she She's just a really interesting person. If you start clicking around online, you'll find many interesting facts. And okay. I tried to string them together. <laughs> okay. So a lot of what we know about Mary Pleasant is wrong. That's the first thing you have to know. Because either it's something that she said to purposely misguide people about her backstory or it's something they published in the newspaper to slander her at some oh. point. So a lot of like facts, especially with early historians about her, are incorrect. Mary was born on August 19th, which is my little brother's birthday, Aww. in 1814. Not my little brother's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> there are various accounts of where she was born, who her parents are, and if she was born free or not free. She claimed that she was born free in Philadelphia, but others say she was born into slavery in the South. From what I can figure out, she was born into slavery in the South as Mary without a last name. But when she was passing as white, her white backstory was that she was born in Philadelphia. Okay. So that's where a lot of the confusion comes from of like, where is she from? Okay. So she's having like a bit of like a Hannah Montana situation. Exactly. There's two of her. <laughs> and one way more fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Billy and Ray Cyrus her her as life. your dad is crazy. <laughs> God. Him and his little fedora and his little mustache. Mm. We loved it. And his achy breaky heart. Her. <laughs> Her parental figures could have been anything from a voodoo priestess from the Caribbean, a Hawaiian merchant, a wealthy Virginian. She had as many stories about herself as she had people to tell the stories to. Love it. So from what I can tell, she's most likely biracial. Okay. And her mother was the slave and her father was not. Okay. So it could have been a rape situation. It could have been a secret passion story. It could have been a it could have been a Hawaiian merchant passing through town, but been. she was definitely seems to have been biracial. Okay. After her mother disappeared, which I'm assuming means died or was sold away, mm-hmm. um when she's a child, she goes to live with Mr. and Mrs. Williams and becomes known as Mary Ellen Williams. She did not have a last name before this. So she's 6 or 11. And I think she's in either Philly or Cincinnati. She's like up in the middle region of the country. Okay. They raise her for a little bit. I think she's working as like a domestic servant. And then the Williamses bring her to Nantucket to a Quaker family where she is going to be an indentured servant. Okay. So she's no longer a slave. Okay. But she's an indentured servant. She can work for her freedom to a Quaker family in Nantucket. Okay. And, like, in her memoir, it says, like, my dad took me to Nantucket. So I'm assuming she meant Mr. Williams, okay. like the people who had her in between. Yeah. It's so hard to do these stories because, like, you want to be telling the truth, but, like, no, no one idea. in this story is telling <laughs> the truth. Nobody's telling so the truth. Like, <laughs> and nobody's telling the truth. 
Apparently, Mr. Williams left her some money with the Nantucket family for okay. education, um, but they didn't give her a formal education. She was later quoted as saying, I often wonder what I would have been with an education. And mm. the answer is a fucking goddess, because without it, she ends up being pretty fucking cool. Ooh, okay. So in short, to put that all together, she was born an enslaved person, ends up in Cincinnati with one family, and then becomes an indentured servant in New England. So she's now by like mid-teens lived in three oh, very distinct regions of our country yeah very South, different regions. <laughs> midwest new england mm. so when she's in nantucket this is the golden age the first golden age we've come across <laughs> the golden age of nantucket whaling this is the pacific whale fishery where all the men in the community go on these whale boats for two to three years most of the men in the town teens to like prime men are gone for years at a time. Dude, I listened to a thing about whaling. Crazy. Literally from, like, a, like in the Nantucket region. Yeah. Sounds like a nightmare. I tried to read Moby Dick and got, like, three chapters in and was like, this is not my thing. No. And it's, it's disgusting. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. I just, no thank you. Yeah, no way. To whaling. Thank goodness we found soy wax. <laughs> we don't have to use blubber for candles. Thank God, because also, like, let's not kill the whales. Yes, please leave the whales alone. <laughs> they, like, have it hard enough. <laughs> They're out in the ocean. Okay, that's where they want to be. What am I talking about? I feel about? like they have it hard <laughs> enough. They're the biggest creatures in the sea. <laughs> they do have it hard. That we know of. Right. What about Megalodon? <laughs> Where, where are all of them? They're down in the trenches, the Pacific trenches. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the women in Nantucket, become, because of this, become really resilient. Like, of yeah. course, yes, they would walk. They talk about, you know, the, quote, widow's walk, where they mm. walk out to the pier and they stand and await their husband or son's boat to come back. But all the women were entrepreneurs. And when you go to Nantucket today, you can walk down, like, the street where all the female businesses were. It's, like, a very interesting thing because they were all living alone but together. And they passed this business acumen on to Mary. I love that. As she's living there. Just a side note here, this is where Lucretia Mott was living at the time. <gasps> I don't know if they interacted, but that's where Lucretia became such an abolitionist and feminist living in the golden age of whaling. I love that. In Nantucket. That's so funny. So hopefully they interacted at some point. <laughs> um. So Mary ends up working at the family's store. They have like a retail business. She wanted to better her life. And because she couldn't do it by um, reading and going to school, she bettered her life by studying the behavior of men mm. and women mm -hmm. and figuring out how to interact with them. She was considered a member of the family at this indentured servant place. Like they, the son taught her how to read and write. She exchanged letters with them even after she left until they passed away. So she was constantly writing mm. back and forth to Nantucket. And she goes back there a lot, like, when she needs a safe haven. Yeah. Because she will need that a lot. At some point, they're like, you're older. You should get a job. And she's mm -hmm. like, I've been a servant my whole life. Right. Slash an enslaved person my whole life. Indentured servant. But they're like, no, you need to learn a trade. So she goes to Boston and apprentices for a tailor mm -hmm. so now she's in boston this is where she meets her first husband she marries james smith in the 1840s pretty much here's what happened she walks out of this tailor shop she is young she is attractive she's wearing one of those like 
fancy dresses that has like tight bottom sleeves but poofy shoulder uh-huh. sleeves i don't know what they're called they said it in the video i wasn't pausing it to rewind and green gables would be at green with envy she was <laughs> and she loves october <laughs> so we yeah she's wearing this dress and she like has to get in this trolley car and she like leans over and she's like is there room in here for me and my <laughs> sleeves <laughs> and james smith of course immediately falls in love with her he's like you are crazy you're adorable (laughs) that's so funny (laughs) so funny and she was also like had a job and was making good money and is living in bustling boston and has a beautiful singing voice like people would pay her to sing i know okay so she's like an independent woman yes yes like i don't need a man i have my sleeves but i'd like a man if i'd like him i'd like some james (laughs) and um he's handsome he's a businessman he at the time is what they would say is mulatto so he's mixed of some sort he's passing as cuban though to be a spy for the liberator which is that abolitionist newspaper at the time Uh so he is a quote enslaved person rescuer conductor on the underground railroad james is he's a brave man and they work to they together work to get people out of slavery to ohio new york and canada or even to mexico um so together she's kind of learning the craft of the underground railroad um james is rich and he's a hero He's also kind of abusive to Mary. I don't know whether this was physical abuse. They said the word abusive, but then another video talked about how, like, he wouldn't let her keep the clothes that she made. He wouldn't let her talk to her Quaker family. So we think it was more, like, emotional abuse. Yeah. It Uh, sounds like he's very controlling. He was super controlling. And I think to her, she felt like, I got my freedom just to lose my freedom again. Yeah. Oh, who requested? Oh my gosh, Connor Murphy. Connor, who we love. We love Connor. Murphy. 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 Hello. I was just thinking about while you were talking. I was like, oh right, this is because I was like, how have we not done this person before? And I was like, she's a request. She's a request. <laughs> she's great. She's great. That's perfect. Um, and I'm yeah. so bummed for Mary because like that's so annoying. To, it is you're annoying. Right, be like, I just got out of this situation only to be being told what to do again, and I don't like to operate that way yeah and she just liked to make her own decisions and she was good at it like mm-hmm. she was she was an actor in her own life she was not part of the audience she was not watching She's things the main happen character, yeah baby. she was the main character of her own story like good for you <laughs> fortunately unfortunately for him he died about four years into their marriage okay people definitely think she killed him <laughs> there's a lot of people who are like mary definitely killed james <laughs> i don't know I wouldn't put it past. I don't know if she killed James, but um, (laughs) she does not address the killing rumors in her memoir. So we'll just leave it at that. She's pleading the sixth, fifth, fifth, fifth. Fifth. She's pleading the sixth. She has a jury of her peers. (laughs) She's her own judge, jury, and executioner. She does not take her own life. I don't know why. I I love it. So anyway, he was a rich guy. Because he had been working a lot. So she is left with a shit ton of money and just leaves her with the please conduct the work on the Underground Railroad. So she does. She is using the money that he left her as wife in the will to help runaway slaves. Um, But she's in danger. Because 
the Underground Railroad kind of started to get people out of the South, but then the South became savvy to like trying to get rid of it. So every couple of months, there's like new laws put into place. Like you can get fined if you help somebody. You have to turn over your property that's worth the cost of this human if you help somebody all the way up to now you can be arrested if you help somebody. And it doesn't help that Mary is a woman of color even Mm -hmm. though she could pass. Mm -hmm. So this is all very very dangerous for her um so james has left her forty five thousand dollars practically like in today's Ooh. money like in gold um she sells his plantation near harper's ferry he had had a plantation she sold it and then she's using all this money she pretty quickly not long after remarries a guy named john james pleasant he is creole He's also working in the Underground Railroad. He's a waiter. Um, And even though federal law had the Fugitive Slave Act, Mm -hmm. where you had to return people, Pennsylvania, to work around it, made a state law where as soon as an enslaved person made it into Pennsylvania, they could declare their own freedom. And it takes a lot of appeals to conduct competition between state and federal laws. So most people were just like, forget it. Yeah. Like, forget it. I'll enslave another human, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like crazy. Um, During their marriage, he worked as a cook on the sea. Okay. um, Which means he was gone a lot. So she had like a lot of independence. They're married for like 30 years, but he's like out and about a lot. Um, and she also, I don't know if she learns it from him or he learned it from her or what, but she, cooking is one of her skills that changes her life. She's an amazing cook, amongst other things. At some point, she has a daughter named Elizabeth who goes by Lizzie J. Smith, but Mary is moving around, changing the world. So her daughter gets left behind with like a family member oh. or something at some point. Okay. And like doesn't come along for the story. So peace, Lily, Lizzie. <laughs> That's all I can find about Lizzie. All right. So there's a number of fellow abolitionists from Boston and Philly and New Bedford that are starting to migrate to California because of the 49ers, right? It is the California. Gold, this is the second gold yeah. rush of this episode. <laughs> there are like 700 people from Nantucket who are like, forget whaling. Yeah. Let's go to California. Mm-hmm. 25 of whom are from the family that she had lived with in Nantucket. Wow. So she instead, she sails around kind of like on her way, but she goes down the coast and around to New Orleans mm-hmm. um, where she is helping to free enslaved people in Louisiana. And we know that New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans, um, was a little different towards people of color because of like where it was located uh-huh. and because of the job. So there wasn't as much slavery, even though there was slavery. Um, and she gets in cahoots with voodoo queen, Marie <gasps> Lavelle. Very exciting. <laughs> so her husband is like, Hey, I'm going to California. And she's like, peace, go there with my crazy adopted family. And she stays and learns from Marie. Marie teaches her the Laveau model, which is how to exploit the privileged people by learning facts about their lives so that you can help underprivileged people, which is called blackmail. But a Robin Hood twist to it. It's a Robin Hood twist. She finds, Marie taught her how to find facts about wealthy white people so that when they try to do something to a 
person of color, Mm -hmm. you can be like, well, I'm going to tell your wife about this interaction that you had with this person. I am going to tell the law that X, Y, Z happened. Right. I'm going to tell your pastor that you were seen at the brothel. Right. Whatever it is. Yeah. So it's like, I know what you're fucking doing. Right. So Marie taught her how to collect receipts and get like journal entries and get copies of letters that like people are sending so that you hold the strings of these wealthy white men. Um, And she does this. (laughs) And so does Marie throughout their lives. They just keep doing it but she had to get out of new orleans because it's it's heating up the fugitive slave act is in place the compromise of 1850 is in place because california wants to join the union and when california joins they want to join as a free state but that makes it uneven there would be one more free state than slave state Mm. so the slave states are like okay well if we're all electing presidents and shit like that like it has to be even so let's make this compromise when one comes in another one comes in so there were like people there was a day called bloody bleeding kansas because people rushed to kansas to settle so that they could vote in the election so that they could become a free state or a slave state like they were rushing to these territories well is that where there was like that weird thing where it was like literally like there were like stakes in the ground and if you just like grabbed one like that was your land that was like wild more wild west okay. like when they were taking land that wasn't theirs right. from other people <laughs> <laughs> this is like it was already a wild west town but your population had to reach a certain number okay. to be called a state and then those people got to vote on whether it was free or slave okay and then it then at one point it became just above a certain line and it was California what broke the rule because it already entered as free okay and it was all the way up and down the coast but it's crazy so she is now below this line a woman of color she's got to get out of there she kind of like sneaks out in the middle of the night this guy tries to stop her he's like why is this woman of color like walking around Marie got her passage on a steamer we know a lot of this stuff because it was written from Marie's granddaughter's point of view but some people don't believe that they were that close, like as close as they both kind of said they were. Mm-hmm. So who knows? So she gets to San Francisco. San Francisco up to this point was 40 to 50,000 people consuming 1 million gallons of liquor a year. <laughs> there were uh, five or something like um, nine men to every one woman. And in every seven days, there were six murders. Oh, my God. So it was a wild west town, but the gold rush was about to make it a city. So she gets on her voyage to California. It's going to take like four months. There are unique opportunities for black Americans. Um, She wrote, this is the best place for black folks on the globe. And it was literally because they could go there and become rich without being a slave. Uh Like, you could work to make money. It was a merit system. Like, if you work all day and all night and you find a golden nugget, like, that's it. You're rich. Mm -hmm. Um, But because it was, like, one woman to every ten pioneers, she realized that she could use her skills of cooking to provide lodging for all these miners. Um, So she's getting over there trying to, like, get people to pay her to do that but the one wrinkle in the plan was at this time um they were allowing people to bring their slaves to enslaved people to help them dig up the gold but it wasn't a slave state so it was very confusing if you lost your papers 
So she really had to help people with like freedom papers to make sure that they were safe. Um, So she arrives. There's a bidding war to get her to cook for them because she's already a renowned cook (laughs) because she brought in the New England lobster, the Southern barbecue, Mm. the Midwest style. And now she becomes the first California like gourmet cook. She's using fresh California ingredients. There is a cookbook to this day in the California or in the San Francisco library of her recipes. <gasps> That's so cool. Because she just like was a famed chef and it was like she was like an influencer. She would be like, "No, we set the table like this. We invite these people. This is how we make sure that people are talking and having a good time at dinner. This is the order the courses come in." And beyond that, she said to all of her very white customers, Black people are going to be the waiters. Yeah. They're not household servants. We're giving right. them. These are going to be are real jobs, jobs mm-hmm. for real people. So she's like changing the lives of people in San Francisco. It just sounds like she understood people so well. So like, I know what well. they want out of a party. I know what they want to eat. I know what they want to drink. I know like how this should go, which that's what being, frankly, when you really boil it down, that's what being a good host is. Yes. It's reading your party. And making decisions. Oh, yeah. And I feel like she knew how to do that. At this point, she's said to have had $15,000 in gold coins, which is equivalent to over $500,000 today. Mm. Just at this. And she used her money so cleverly. She started taking her gold, changing it in for silver, which was worth more in South America, sending her silver to Mexico changing it out for gold and bringing the gold back because it would be worth more. She is exchanging her money to like, she's like an economist. She's just like shifting it all around. And I just like, don't understand how she knew how much gold was worth in Mexico. Yeah. How, where did she learn that information? That's crazy. She is a literal businesswoman. She puts some of her money in a number of different banks. She starts investing in these wealthy white men, William West of Weston Harper, in Frank Langford, in Thomas Randolph. She is investing in these men and getting like 10% interest rate from these famous wealthy white men in California. Then she establishes a boarding house that has laundry and brothel. And because of this, And it's the gold rush. She meets all these men that come to California and actually strike it rich. Among the men she meets become senators and governors. And the guys that, like, are going to run California for the next couple decades, she knows them personally and housed them and fed them. Mm. All of them. So cool. She becomes a co-founder of a bank in California and several restaurants. Wow. All night saving people and getting fake papers for people who aren't free. I like don't like that's where's the the time where's the time and the fact that she was able to like like live both lives you know what I'm saying yes like she is in both worlds she's obviously like very involved in the upper class white world and also still operating this enterprise that's helping people Helping enslave people and people like of work. color. That's insane. Yeah. And like she was going at this point by Miss Ellen Smith. So instead of Mary Ellen Pleasant, mm-hmm. she never put the name Mary Pleasant into the Underground Railroad mm-hmm. because she didn't want it to be connected back to her. Mm-hmm. Like I said, her husband's a 
see. He had been gone a lot. I uh, totally forgot she was still. I, <laughs> I was like, and her husband's dead. No, yeah, she no. got remarried. And he's but he does. Scene. He does die. He okay. dies in 1877, and she's still kind of kicking because she was doing this all along, kind of without him because right. he's out working. Um, and again, like you said, she keeps her two personas very separate so mm-hmm. that they don't intermix. Um, but because the laws in California are getting stricter and stricter as it becomes a state, she becomes a one woman social agency for black men and women in California. She ensures their daily needs. She makes sure their needs are met. She makes sure they have a boarding house. She helps get them clothes. She helps women find and women of any color find housing find clothing, find homes for their children if they can no longer take care of them. She arranges marriages between wealthy men and women who aren't up to caliber so that these women have a stepping stone to get up. She also kept, like I said, detailed records (laughs) of the activities of men and their illegitimate children and infidelities so that she could rub it in their face. Then... Mary is like, I'm in San Francisco, and I hear about this guy named John Brown near my old Harper's Ferry plantation, and I think he could use some money, and I think I should go home and, like, help him. She apparently goes back to the East Coast because she believes in John Brown's mission. Um, Obviously, he ends up getting hung in Harper's Ferry. There is a note in his pocket upon his hanging that has the initials M.E.P. signed on it. So we, some historians think she absolutely is the M.E.P., Mary Elizabeth Pleasant. She gave him a whole bunch of money. She tried to help him out. And some people are like, that is so far-fetched. Right. (laughs) So it it really depends on who you talk to, but it is very plausible that she donated a lot of money to John Brown to help him out before he was hung. Whoa crazy that's insane that's a really crazy person to be like in cahoots with yeah. <laughs> um the sum i think that she is said to have donated to him was about thirty thousand dollars then money which is like nine hundred thousand today money gosh with her fortune and her money like i said she is investing in a lot of businesses one is known as Wells Fargo today. (laughs) Um, And she gets in a long-lasting relationship with a man named Thomas Bell. Thomas Bell is a white man, and the two of them are business partners, (laughs) but also definitely romantically linked, but they couldn't be romantically linked, so they buy, they together with all their businesses, make like $30 million, then, then money, $30 million. Um, and then they buy like a huge mansion in California and hire a prop wife. They get Thomas Bell married to a white woman named Teresa and just have her um, move in. That's a nice beard position. To be <laughs> like a $30 million beard position. I would take that. I'll take it. I'll divorce my current <laughs> husband and take it. Um, yeah. I love it. Bananas. (laughs) It's bananas. But as soon, I mean, obviously, as soon as the Emancipation Proclamation is signed, she starts presenting as a black woman immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, goes back to being called Mary Pleasant, which I think, and many people did, she had too much confidence in the end of the Civil War. Nobody saw the... Jim Crow laws coming. Everybody was like, this is Reconstruction. We're going to bring the nation back together. Meanwhile, 
the white enterprise figured out a way to keep people of color down. Yeah. Which is what happened. And she had already shifted identities mm -hmm. to be a black person. Mm -hmm. So then she is in a free California, a free America, but there's a whole bunch of problems with streetcars. They won't let black people ride the streetcars the same oh way as white gosh. people. She takes them all to court, <gasps> takes them to court. And it's like, we are free. She goes to court with all the black people who are not being allowed to drive in streetcars the same way or ride when they're supposed to. And what happens is she wins and they get a whole bunch of money, but then somebody appeals and they take the win away. So annoying. And the lawyer in the case said something like, this isn't perfectly it, but he said, if we take away this win today, we will be fighting the same battle in a hundred years. Right. That was Rosa Parks, right? Yeah. Like that's insane yeah. that he said that on the stand in California. And then it does happen a hundred years later. It's the same exact battle. Um, so then, like I said, she was pro, very pro woman. So she helps this woman named, I think Sharon Althea Hill. She's a socialite. She's the wife of William Sharon, who is like a Senator. Um, and this woman wants to sue him for adultery. She's like, it's in the law books. He yeah. can't cheat on me. So she's trying to sue him for adultery. She gets painted as a crazy drama-ridden person. Mm -hmm. but And, I mean, I don't know all the details of this case. So she was a crazy socialite and, like, super famous. So she might have been a little nuts. But Mary um, goes and helps her with this case. She's mm. bankrolling the case for this heiress mm. to help her win it. So all of this being said... <laughs> By her 70s, she has a mass fortune with her partner, Thomas Bell, um, and Thomas's fictional wife, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> but when he died, they had kind of had some problems and some falling out with, like, trust issues, oh. uh, you know, because they were business partners and partner partners, and there's a lot of things going on. So when he died, his will was very ambiguous. And then... The Sharon boys, the senator's boys that she had helped that wife, they come after her in the paper. <gasps> after Thomas dies, they're like, let's go after Mary. <sighs> and then Teresa goes after Mary in the papers, too, the fake wife, because she wants the money, of course. They start calling her Mammy, Mammy Pleasant, which she hates. They start calling her a murderer. They're saying she stole babies, and that's why she knows all these white people. They're saying she's a black widow, that she also killed Thomas Bell, which, again, she doesn't address the rumors of her dead husbands. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is really hard because, you know, she lived the last 20 years of her life in a 30-room mansion in San Francisco, but she is running out of money because she's bankrolling Thomas's family, all these 15 people. And while she was pretty rich in investments, she's kind of cash poor because yeah. all her money was working. It's all tied up. It's tied up. It's working for her. And she it's can't just liquid. like pull it out from under people. Yeah. Um, so when it's close to the end, she lived on Webster street in San Francisco with a maid and the bell children visited her regularly. They called her auntie. They loved her so much. She died January 11th, 1904. Wow. 1904, um, and was interned in a cemetery in Napa where her gravestone references that she was a friend of John Brown, <laughs> which I don't, it says like she was a friend of John Brown and she requested that on her gravestone. So that's kind of, 
interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> She's featured in many works of fiction because she's super cool. And, of course, the 2008 documentary that I watched. Um, and the city of San Francisco has, like, a park named after her because they, like, love her. But what's really interesting is she's the most wealthy woman in all of the 19th century in America. In the 1800s, this woman of color was, like, the richest woman in America. That's so cool. She had so much money. And the thing I think that's most interesting about her is she was a civil rights activist uh -huh. like MLK. She was Underground Railroad like Harriet Tubman. Uh -huh. She was in the courtrooms like Rosa Parks fighting for the rights of people. Uh -huh. She fought for the rights of people of color, women's rights, human's rights. She was white some of her life. She was black some of her life. She was a law-breaking heroine, and she was an entrepreneur businesswoman. She was literally everything you could ask someone yeah. to be in like in america yeah of all time but because she died very early 1900s she was quickly swept under the rug mm -hmm. it the kkk was brand new around the time of her death you had like the white citizen councils starting mm -hmm. to pop up around the country right around the time of her death and they wanted to chalk her money up to quote, maybe killing her husbands or stealing from Thomas Bell or blackmailing white guys. And because of that, her story was very quickly lost. God, that's and such bullshit. It is bullshit. And, I mean, that's the that's her story. I, well, especially because, like, white men do illegal, shady things. Like, because, like, was everything that she did, like, totally by the book? No! no. But... <laughs> You would never say that, like, yeah. you, you would never be like, J.P. Morgan Chase. <laughs> Psycho. Wells Fargo. You deserve that many. You know what I'm like? Or maybe you would. I don't yeah, know anything about him. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, white men don't get erased from history because you would call them cunning, shrewd businessmen. Right. And she doesn't get that title. Never. Because she is a woman, and especially a woman of color. Yeah. It's like... <sighs> I just... From being born in slavery in maybe Georgia, maybe Virginia, to having $30 million in San Francisco. Unbelievable. The journey? The journey. That's crazy. I can't. Ugh. 1814 to 1904. Wow. A true, true, like, American spirit. A go-getter capitalist, honestly. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah, she's amazing. All right, well... My girl is just four years younger. So cool. let's get into the same <laughs> time period. <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. We're back. Part two. This is a very fall cocktail. <laughs> I'm so excited. I was like thinking about should I use apple cider? Should I like? <laughs> mold some wine you just did it for me i did all of it what a um, treat thank it's, you <laughs> it's funny because i went to target and i was like oh they have the apple cider i was like i'm sure they have apple butter because there's apple butter in this mm. no apple butter so then i was like i'll just swing by weber's because it's like you know kind of it's on the way the line is out the fucking door on i couldn't believe it on a thursday afternoon babe you got two weeks till halloween what? this place is popping every night of the week at this point because Fiance and I normally go like 
in like the last week of September, beginning of October, we get pumpkins. Sure, 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 you know, sure, sure. we go on like a weeknight and mm-hmm. it's never like this. Right. So I also there was a school bus there. So I think that speaking of field trips, I think there was a field trip going on. I'm so sorry. Please forget I, all of us. So I was like, whoa, auxiliary parking only. <laughs> OK. Like wow. In like the. Because they have the, the main back lot. Fi- and the backfield. And then they got the back lots. <laughs> Only back lots today. So I was like, I will not be getting my apple butter from Weber's today. No. Uh, but I got it from George's. So that's our, our little. George's. <laughs> George's. Sponsored on my mind. Um, which is equally as good. So anyways. <laughs> Probably the same fucking apple butter with a different label on the can. You know it is. You know it is. There's, I know because I put stickers <laughs> and on it's them. it's made by Welch's. <laughs> <laughs> Local farms are BS. <laughs> like, I'm so lying. No, I'm, I'm lying. Joking. Please shop local. <laughs> um, okay. So. Send me straight to hell. Are we? Do you want to know what you're drinking? <laughs> I do. I'm really excited about it because I'm a fall baby. This is called XYB Examine Your Bloomers. Oh my God. Ew. <laughs> Fine. It is bourbon, apple cider, apple butter, sweet vermouth topped with champagne, <laughs> garnished Cheers. with an apple. We okay. like immediately went off of white liquors mm-hmm. when the fall hit. Mmm. Mmm. Okay. I like it pretty good i love apple apple's my favorite fruit i feel like mm. apple's so underrated and also i'm a teacher so like you yeah. know well and honey crisps i got a whole bunch of honey crisps from trader joe's the other day and i was stoked because they're my favorite apple they're, but they're only around in maryland like official like yeah it has to be hot October. and they're expensive <laughs> Yeah, they're expensive, but they taste good. It's not like Red Delicious that just looks like it's a poison apple, but tastes like chalk. A Red Delicious apple. It's waxy. It's chalky. Hate it. Not delicious at all. Disgusting. Anyways, what do you know about Amelia Bloomer? Um, so I've seen like drawings of her. I've seen drawings of her in her little Bloomer outfits, Mm -hmm. and um, just based on context clues. Yeah, (laughs) I'm assuming that she is the person who pioneered uh women's or or was involved in the women's dress revolution yes and that's all i know i don't know about her life or anything i think i've posted about her a couple times when Mm -hmm. her birthday comes up on like today in history her story but um yeah i don't know like specific details i just know what the pictures look like and Mm -hmm. her name perfect so let's get into it um my main sources were wikipedia and this great episode of Stop, Stuff Mom Never Told You. They did a fantastic episode on bloomerism. So that's like the dress reform movement that is centered mm-hmm. around these bloomers, Got which it. we'll obviously get into. Sure. But it just provided so much context into the time period and all that little information. Because like Amelia's life, we don't have a whole lot of information on. Mm-hmm. But the bloomerism movement was so interesting. So let's get into it. Amelia Jenks was born on May 27th, 1818 in the town of Homer, New York, which is near Seneca Falls. Her parents were Ananias Jenks and Lucy Webb Jenks. And Lucy, (laughs) Lucy, Amelia, (laughs) was the youngest in the family with four sisters and two brothers. I feel like if your dad's name is Ananias Jenks. There's got to be something going on. Something's going Like, that <laughs> is such a name. It's a mouthful. I feel... Ananias? Ananias. I wish a student would come into my class with the name Ananias. 
I do. I do wear. Well, you would never know because they'd be an anonymous. <laughs> That's your second dad joke of the night. I'm sorry. I'm That's your second dad joke of the night. Go home. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm just coming alive in this season. Uh, <laughs> That's because you're a scorp, baby. You're here. You're here to scorp us out. Oh, I am. Um, so she came from a, mali- a family. Oh, sp- Speaking of which, we did get a request to bring back the, the yes, yes. The fu- oh and also maureen maureen, maureen requested this thank, so you. thank you maureen and god who the fuck was it that was like it was really great when you guys did the, uh, the star horoscopes signs. which i did really love it was fun it was sometimes it was fun. hard to find their exact birthday and year but it That's was true. fun um i have to look up who it was that requested i think it was avery Avery yes, Bray. Avery, Bray. Avery Bray. Avery, like, I agree. I really love that because sometimes they'd be, like, spookily similar. In sync. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, so Maureen Erica, is that who requested this or just Maureen? I, I think it was Maureen Erica, but I, I just put Maureen. Okay. <laughs> the person that we know that follows us. Yes. Um, I get her confused with Maureen Flynn, who is a realtor that I work with. Right, but so but Maureen, Maureen a and Connor and Murphy of tonight are like two long-time listeners. listeners, and they like all our shit on social yes. media as well. So Maureen. Good for you. Thank you. Um, so Amelia came from a family of modest means and received only a few years and also Avery Bray hasn't been such a, a listener for such a long time. Oh I also want to make that clear. Human people. These human Everybody's people I love. <laughs> um, she only received a few years of formal education in the local district school. But when she was 16, she witnessed something distressing. Her elderly female neighbor was being evicted from her home. Her husband had died. And since he did not, like, make a will, he... Everything went to some distant cousin that she had never met because she technically did not have any rights to anything that he had. Hmm. So this distant cousin moves in, kicks her out, and she's like, shit out of luck. And Amelia is like, that is not going to happen to me. I will learn a skill. I will get my own job. Thank you very much. So when she's 17, she became a teacher, and she soon relocated to the town of Waterloo to live with her newly married sister, Elvira, which... I love that name. My heart's <laughs> on fire for we also, Elvira. We totally need to do an episode on Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I can't believe we haven't already. So There's I'm a lot of women her. in the world. Did you know? So many women Did in the world. Did you know? There's like about half of the population is women. Uh, but within a year, she was moving yet again to the town of Seneca Falls to be a governess to the three youngest children of the Orrin Chamberlain family. And when she was 22, she married law student Dexter Bloom, what a cute name and we like him so it's good good dexter i was like I'm, I'm feeling suspicious i know i know suspicious it's hard in this time dexter. period it's a real roll of the dice she's 22 marrying a boy named dexter like he might be roll crazy. the dice pay might the price be crazy. you know it's crazy <laughs> sevens um, you're out crap out baby <laughs> so they got married on april 15th 1840 and Dexter firmly believed in his new wife's potential. My and God. I know. And he encouraged her to write for his newspaper, the Seneca Falls County Courier. So cute. What if you could say you lived in Seneca Falls? And he called her Ace. No, um, he didn't. <laughs> I almost fucking fought you. I, I know almost... your heart skipped a beat, but no. <laughs> I almost died. Okay, I we had a fool. Okay, this is... 
the, you know what? This is going to go on Patreon. Okay? Never mind. Okay. Everybody, if you want to hear this story that I'm about to tell about nicknames, <laughs> join us on Patreon. This is good because I, you know, you and I have nicknames that we want to be called, and it's just not happening. Hey, Pidge. I know. <laughs> okay. Anyways. So he is like, why don't, why don't you write for the paper? Because Amelia is becoming more educated in social issues, and she has some stuff to say. One of her early causes was temperance, as it was with a lot of women at this time. I mean, we've talked about this before, but a lot of early feminists were very anti-drinking because men's drinking was actively harming women. They were getting drunk, beating their wives, spending all the family money on booze, and there was literally nothing they could do about it. So for them, they're like, if we just got rid of the fucking alcohol, like maybe this would be better. Uh, bring in Carrie Nation. So <laughs> women <laughs> axe that bar, baby, axe that bar. Could so, you imagine a Pilates video? But it's just no. axe bar. <laughs> so women like Amelia worked towards the banning of alcohol, and her husband Dexter was so supportive. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to drink anymore. Aww. He just quit drinking. You know, he didn't have a problem with it. Like he was a casual drinker, but he was like, you know what? I want to show my support. <laughs> we love Dexter Bloom. Thank you, Dex. Um, obviously, for a person like Amelia, being anywhere in upstate New York in the 1840s is the right place at the right time. Because in 1848, the famed Seneca Falls Convention took place. And Stop. Amelia is right there in the thick of it. In the thick. Uh-huh. Uh, but even though many women were there signed the Declaration of Sentiments, which was basically the quote, grand movement for attaining the civil, social, political, and religious rights of women, their answer to the Declaration of Independence, Amelia did not actually sign it. The only reason I could find was her deep connection to the Episcopal Church. I don't quite understand, but, like, I guess because, like, this was more of a movement of, like, Methodists and Quakers, maybe because she like episcopal is really close to catholic i also wonder if like the episcopal church feels more that the man is the center of the household maybe. and she has like i don't know this but like maybe she i don't like i don't, I don't know. know i can't uh, like i can't quite tell but she didn't sign the document um, but she was still really encouraged by everything that happened. So the next year, she started her own newspaper just for women called The Lily. This made her the first woman to own, operate, and edit a news vehicle for women. Wow. Uh-huh. It began as a temperance journal, but soon expanded to a broad mix of contents ranging from, you know, recipes to try out and moralist tracks. <laughs> And soon, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony got involved. Of course they did, these ladies. Fun fact. Were they being assholes or were they fine? No, they were being good. <laughs> and fun fact, Amelia Bloomer introduced the two. No. Uh-huh. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. And, like, I didn't quite believe it. I was like, maybe this is just, because it was, like, just a little quip on her Wikipedia Maybe page. it's lore. But no, it's not because oh, we have proof later. Shit. <laughs> so she introduced That's them. crazy. She matchmaked uh-huh. the two women who like made voting <laughs> possible. Know. That's crazy. Um, so she introduced them. Obviously, they were really good friends or whatever. And they started contributing essays on the subject of women's rights rights and specifically suffrage right and they so, were like a mat- if you listen go back and listen to those episodes they were a match great. made in heaven great 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 because one was a wife with children and one was not tied down so they could work together 
mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Because I feel like it was what, like, so Elizabeth Cady Stanton had a family. Family and kids. And Susan B. Anthony would stay at their house that they were like, oh, that's Susan's room. And they would, like, she would watch the kids while Elizabeth went and wrote, but then Susan B. Anthony would go out and, like, say the speeches because she could be free to go do that because she wasn't tied Gorgeous. down. All thanks to Amelia. <laughs> what a great through line I, I love it things i never knew that i need to know yeah. is what this is it's perfect um so this is another great fact apparently elizabeth katie stanton's pseudonym while writing for the lily was sunflower what a beautiful pseudonym <laughs> so cute um so Amelia was not super into like giving speeches or anything like that because she felt like it was unseemly for women to give lectures. So maybe this is a part of like her Episcopal. Yeah, like you don't nature. give the sermon, but you are a free person of your exactly. own. Exactly. Sure. So maybe that's how she's feeling. Um, so she preferred the written word. So it kind of feels to me like she is a person who's like, I'm going to do what I can with the limits that I have. You know, she's like, I don't believe that I should be doing this, but I also really want to be doing this. It's also like <laughs> fair to like live within the limits that you feel are appropriate for yeah. yourself. Like not totally everybody agree. has to be a warrior on the front lines. Totally agree. Um, and one of the first thing that she publishes in the Lily, which I really love this quote, she goes, it is women who speak through the Lily. Cause when it first started out, it's a fairly small operation originally meant for home distribution among members of the Seneca Falls Ladies Temperance Society. So she basically like got involved with the convention, met this group of, you know, like-minded women and was like, I'm going to create a paper for us. But once wider circles got got involved and they started to expand on their subject matter, circulation got up to around 4,000 readers. This is like a big deal. Like that's a pretty sizable newspaper for this woman who is doing it basically all herself um and there were some topics that she refused to write on which we have to note such as the fugitive slave act Ah! i know i just yelled in your ear sorry everybody (laughs) this is really interesting because it's kind of one of the blights against her you know she people asked her to comment on it to write about it and she just she just refused, and we don't really know why. Um, I don't know. There wasn't really much more information on it than she just refused to write about it. So. I think so. Part of the problem with the Fugitive Slave Act is it was part of the Compromise of 1850. Mm-hmm. So we think it was it was buried in the Compromise to make it more palatable, mm-hmm. and that's what our our government does today. They put through laws and bills that have little pieces that are right. that make it more swallowable. Yeah. So I am uncomfortable sometimes commenting on new bills and laws because I don't know all the things. Yeah. I never come out fully in support of either because I'm very I I love like I have a lawyer friend in New York named Aaron Miles Cloud who is so knowledgeable that when she says something I'm like she has all the proof. Right. I don't want to be an idiot. I agree. And I love those people that you're like, okay, I feel like I can trust you. Like, I feel like like I can trust your research, your, like, those people online. Because, like, it's such a dangerous area right now. (laughs) And there's a lot of misinformation. So I I always appreciate those kind of touchstones 
those touchstone people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that you're like you wouldn't put this out there like if you didn't research it yourself and like you're not like i don't know no maybe that's what she was doing i don't know i think maybe like i don't know like maybe i'm more self-aware than she was but i think people back then had the same Mm self-awareness like i think it's fair to give her agency and say like she might have just been like i don't know enough about this to comment yeah and i think that's fine yeah yeah and maybe that was it i don't really know like nothing's new under the sun right like like, (laughs) here we are um so anyways the paper was successful even though when some of the original women helping her edit and publish the paper fell away amelia kept going so originally the title page had held had the legend published by a committee of ladies so she like wanted everyone to know like this is a paper by women for a woman But after 1850, only her name appeared on the masthead. She said, It was a needed instrument to spread abroad the truth of a new gospel to women, and I could not withhold my hand to stay the work I had begun. I saw not the end from the beginning and dreamed where to my propositions to society would lead me. So she's just basically saying, like, this was needed. We needed a paper that specifically spoke to women that was written by us because, like, everything else was being filtered through men. The FUBU situation. Exactly. <laughs> so, obviously, the lily was used to talk about issues that were really important to women of the day. And soon, that topic was turned towards what women were wearing. In 1851, New England temperance activist Elizabeth Smith Miller, a.k.a. Libby Miller, adopted what she considered a more rational costume. Loose trousers gathered at the ankles, like women's trousers worn in the Middle East and Central Asia. Like Jasmine, you mean? Mm -hmm. Princess Jasmine? Exactly. Topped by a short dress or skirt and a vest. The original name for these bifurcated bottoms. (laughs) Bifurcated bottoms? Wow. Turkish pants because, of course, they came from that part of the world. They were seen as very, like, exotic and new, which, of course, there's a lot of. They're from Istanbul, baby. They really got (laughs) it. Um, So Libby starts wearing this new, they would call it, like, a costume around town. And her cousin, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, is like, I love this. (laughs) I'm doing it, too. So she starts Mary Walker Edwards wore these mm-hmm. that we covered. Um, and Amelia Bloomer does the same thing. She's like, what are those? And once Amelia gets a taste of the pants, she just can't go back. And she's like, I have to share this with the world. Amelia then gets a wooden stamp made of her in the Turkish pants and publishes the picture <laughs> and her accompanying high praise in the lily that's what i want to do of me in gold hoops yeah. <laughs> exactly a stamp. i want a wooden back stamp. baby <laughs> they're here they're mine <laughs> i love them so the new york tribune catches wind of this new fashion trend and publishes a little something about the latest fad for women and refers to them as the bloomer costume or bloomers as a nod to amelia since it appeared in her paper wowza and in fact the whole movement would be known as bloomerism And this movement was pretty significant because women could not control a whole lot during this time period. They couldn't vote. They couldn't stop their husbands from drinking or wasting family money, but they could sew. And they could make themselves a pair of bloomers and change the way that they dress just enough to make a difference and create a social movement. And Amelia even published the pattern for free in the Lily to make them more accessible for women. Shut up. 
I know. It's so cute. So obviously a nice little part of the bloomers is that they're a little rebellious. <laughs> but there are, of course, all these practical reasons why women wanted to wear them. So you don't drown? Exactly. <laughs> Number one. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Number one is that, you know, Elizabeth Cady Stanton points out in her writing that it's unfair that men are able to get dressed by themselves and women need help. She goes, it takes so much more time and effort for a woman to get dressed and that fucking blows like that's so stupid okay so let's talk about that there's uh -huh. a corset before this there's oh, we'll a, get into the layers a petticoat we'll get into the layers. okay <laughs> I, will, I will pause <laughs> on my layer conversation okay. again number two all those layers <laughs> that they need help putting on are heavy and cumbersome there were so many layers to what a woman was wearing at the time first you had the undergarments then the corset, which we have talked about before, because the corset wasn't all bad at the time. Sure. Some of them, though, were laced too tight to give too much of a fit. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I do want to make that clear because there have been some videos recently that were like, actually, like some people really liked wearing corsets because like they kind of like gave you a little bit more structure. I honestly, I don't mind a body shaper. No. I don't want to squeeze my organs to death. Exactly. I don't want to pass out like Elizabeth in Pirates of the Caribbean and go off the edge and have Johnny Depp come and save me. A hundred percent. So but that's the problem. I'm fine with the body shaper. <laughs> Is that it was becoming the fashion to squeeze them too tight, damage sure. women's organs, mm -hmm. restrict their breathing, and that wasn't okay. And then the next layer was the petticoats. Many, many petticoats. Sometimes as many as eight to get the volume and achieve the bell shape that was in vogue at the time. What about a hoop skirt? Why and aren't there hoop skirts? They weren't in they weren't in style yet. We'll get to the hoop skirt. Oh my god. Um, yes. So they're just wearing literal a million layers to make and it that big. And there's not even crinoline at this time because that also comes in a little bit. How? So this is literally like wearing eight skirts. How much eight separate skirts? Money of fashion. Does that cost? Who has enough money for that? No like that's insane because there are not impoverished women wearing eight skirts. I'm sorry. They, that doesn't happen. No. But so this is the thing. But it was like I the stuff your mom never told you podcast said that the layers and layers and layers, even like women on the poorer section, they were still wearing multiple, multiple layers. So like maybe you didn't have eight. But you were not just wearing a dress and that's it. You enough were to make a bell shape. Enough to make a bell shape. And again, hoop skirts and crinoline, not here right now. But also, wasn't this the same time period that Marie Antoinette, like she had already had her head cut off. Mm -hmm. So we've moved into Victorian. Because she was the one who was like, I'm tired of corsets. I'm going to wear a flowy nightgown. And everybody was like, okay. Yeah. And they all started doing it. Yeah. So this, like, is past that. We're at a weird time, I think. This is my general understanding. Yeah. That women are very influenced by, like, what they're reading. Because I think they want answers as to, like, what should I wear? What is going to, like, save me from, like, whatever the fuck is going on here? Who are a bass baby? <laughs> um, That's crazy. Because, I am upset about all this. Yeah. Because, again, like, you have eight skirts under your skirt and then you have the dress that goes over, over top of all this with these really tight bodices and sleeves and necklines that are fitted and very starchy it's it's so hard to move in outfits typically weighed this is the average 
15 pounds and were very difficult to move in. 15 pounds. And this is one thing I didn't think of. Number Mm. three reason for the bloomers. Getting the skirt off the ground was crucial. Germs. The germs. The germs. germs. They're kicking up the poo that people are dumping in the streets. come on. So the skirt that went over the bloomers hit about five inches below the knee, which was so nice because the long skirt spent all day brushing against the ground. It's like a cocktail dress. (laughs) In the late 1800s, that was disgusting. No indoor plumbing. Horses are shitting everywhere. Talk to me about the horse shit. Horrible. So literally, it was an issue of sanitation to get the skirts and all eight petticoats off the ground. I would love to see how many more women. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure it's correlation not causation because women were also caring for their children but like got got sick from things like yellow fever yeah because again especially if you're talking about a lower class woman who is still wearing long skirts still some layers maybe not eight but you have to wash all the layers and so you are literally washing all of these layers but also while you walk you're kicking up dust into your face into your face under your skirt you're a walking fan yeah i i wore a big dress one time for halloween and was like this is never happening again (laughs) and since then i've dressed up like a boy there you go it's terrible it's terrible a big skirt like that insane um and finally reason number four is they were cute as hell (laughs) they are cute There was a great description of a group of young girls wearing bloomer costumes. And, like, these are, like, cute, like, teens to early 20s girls. It described them as wearing blue, pink, and purple satin with these little hats on their head adorned with fresh roses. It said, when we first saw them, we thought we were being visited by a flock of fairy queens. Oh, I love that. It was also fashionable. Like, it was this new, fun Thing. It's like imagine being in the 70s, in like the 60s and 70s, and bell bottoms come on the scene for the first time, and you're like, I love these. They even had bloomer balls for a bit. So these were dances that were put on to celebrate women's new range of movement because they're like, come and dance like you've never danced before. Dance. <laughs> this and that away. And this is another thing. Bloomer balls were a chance for women who were, like, a little too afraid to wear bloomers out in public. They're like, well, I'm going to a bloomer ball. I can wear them. So then they could come and wear bloomers and not feel like they were going to be harassed. That's so sweet. I love it. Um, But, of course, with any change that women want to make literally at all, there was a lot of pushback. (laughs) The church said that women who wore bloomers were trying to usurp male authority and they would not be let into the church. So, like, some women were kicked out or denied membership into a church because of their bloomers. She's a witch! Um, and then there were men harassing women in the streets, like, put some clothes on! Uh, this is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And there are some writings, you know, like, someone was like, if women start to wear pants, the depopulation of the world is imminent. That's People it. Really upset about it's this. It's gone. So dramatic. the world, it's over. Put on. She's putting on a pants and a <laughs> tunic. 
And of course, plenty of cartoons were drawn making fun of bloomer wearing women, but actually like kind of made them look pretty cool. It would be like a woman (laughs) in bloomers proposing to a man or a group of women wearing bloomers leaning back and smoking cigars together. Yes, please. And it's all really funny because bringing this back to Amelia, she's frustrated because she's like, the pushback I'm getting is that women want to be men. She goes, I don't want to be a man. She goes, I don't want them to dress the same. She goes, I like that women get to look cute and pretty. It's like, I don't, I just don't want to carry around 15 pounds of petticoats drenched in shit every day. So it's so interesting because she is like, that's not what I want. That's not what this means. It is a slight change in the outfit to make it a little more convenient. And you're taking this as we want to usurp male power and decimate the world population. This is such an interesting conversation <laughs> to be had that I it that is, is so currently topical because I like I hear it happening in in the world today, right? Where it's like I am not, you know, well you, you could be I'm trying to think of how to say this. The LGBTQ+ plus community is so beautiful and vibrant and has so many different people that I think people put a lot of blame on certain groups. Mm-hmm. And th- people are like, that's not what I want. I just want to, like, live my life. I just want to exist. I want to, like- I want to exist in my life. I'm not trying to take your power. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to change the system. I just want to exist and partner with the people I do or don't want to partner with mm-hmm. and just, like, and have the same legal rights as you. Right. Like, that's all. I don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from you. Just right. like, let me I'm not try to make like heterosexual marriage not exist. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just also want to exist in the same capacity. Yeah. I have another thing that I need to put on Patreon now about, okay, about this. Perfect. 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 Um, Guys, okay. I'm tempting you. I'm tempting you. So, Amelia's exact words were the costume of woman should be suited to her wants and necessities, it should conduce at once to her health comfort and usefulness and while it should not fail also to conduce to her personal adornment it should make that end of secondary importance let men be compelled to wear our dress for a while and we should soon hear them advocating for a change which i also love because she's again she's saying she goes yes i also want to look cute she's like i don't want to like give up like the shapeliness of what I'm wearing. And like, I want to look pretty and I want to do this, but like, I also want to be able to move around and not feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> I think it's, a, I think it's fine to want to look feminine and also want your rights. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's all Amelia's asking for. Right. But that's exactly, uh, Oh, sorry. <laughs> and she also said, I have another quote from her that I love after some particularly <laughs> nasty articles were written about bloomerism. She said, when I saw what a furor I had raised, I determined that I would not be frightened for my position, but I would stand my ground and wear the dress when and where I please. But that's the problem. It's the when and where I please. Women are making decisions about their dress for themselves and their own comfort and pleasure rather than the male gaze. And that is the root of the issue. So they're pissed because... Women want to dress the way they want to dress, and they don't want to be pretty because men want them to be pretty. Right. So this is throwing men's psyche for a loop. (laughs) Full loop. (laughs) I love it. They're kind of like, oh, 
no, 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 no. Like, because again, it's like Gaston, like women start thinking and then like all right. hell breaks loose. But what about, what about seeing that ass? That's the thing. Check out that girl's like, ass. I still want you to see my ass, but I also want to wear a little bit of a pant. Like, this is the thing about bloomers. They're not even a full pant. Like, it's like a crazy, it's like a dress. I like, girls look fucking hot in leggings. Yeah. Give me some leggings in Come the on. 1800s. Let's just blow their minds. Can you imagine if they threw us back there with our hoops and our no, leggings? I can't. We'd be thrown in prison. So, all of this is going on. Bloomerism is in full force. And around 1855, though, Amelia's life changed. She and her husband decided to move to Council Bluffs, Iowa. And Amelia sold the lily to her friend, Mary Birdsall, who kept it going through 1859. And this move away from New York, from the lily, signaled that Amelia was kind of slowing down. And included in that was her return to long dresses and skirts. Which is interesting. She did abandon the bloomers. There is a, actually like a growing return to a non-bloomer lifestyle because there had been some updates in the fashion world. Crinoline had been introduced as a lightweight alternative to the heavy underskirts and hoop skirts were coming into style. This is the cage-like contraption that women wore under the skirts to give them some volume. And like the crinoline, it was much lighter than the eight petticoats. So it's so interesting that you pointed out the hoop skirts because it's like they were like almost here, but they weren't here yet. So a lot of women were so uncomfortable. And then when the hoop skirts came out, they're like, oh, I can have it all. Like mm -hmm. I can have the long skirt and the like and the big dresses, but not carry around eight skirts. Well, and at that point, who cares if Amelia goes back? Because mm -hmm. her number one thing was mobility. Exactly. She wasn't trying to make some crazy statement. She right. didn't even sign the Seneca Falls thing. Yeah. She just wanted to be comfortable. Yeah. God give her the right to be comfortable. Exactly. Like, where would the fuck you want, Amelia? So bloomers went out of fashion, except for with a few particular groups. And I love this. It's women who exercised. Yeah. And women in cults. <laughs> <laughs> One and the same, baby. <laughs> it's like, I love exercising. I have not been in a cult yet. Yet. Operative word yet. Still, it's still <laughs> on my docket. I'm waiting <laughs> so, for the moment. Women in cults, such as the Oneida community. Uh -oh. And I have to talk about this for a second. Uh -oh. So <laughs> you love a cult. I love a cult. <laughs> the leader of the Oneida community, John Humphrey Noyes, encouraged women to wear bloomers, saying something like, I don't know why we this is obviously like a very butchered example of what he said but he was like i don't know why we've been pretending like women are shaped like butter churners rather than a human with two legs <laughs> how fair yes how fair how fair but also like this this story of that cult is crazy it was like one of those big like free love sex cults oh in so the 1800s. he is he so is like, a like leg lover he was a guy who from what I remember from the criminal episode about him, he was a guy who was really shy, really awkward. So he was like, I'm just going to create a cult so I can have sex with lots of women. Wow. He's like a charismatic sex Oneida oh, community. So anyways. But he doesn't want a butter turner. He doesn't want he's a butter turner. He's like, I want, a I want to spread those legs in the pantaloons. What a psycho. I love him. 
But even though Amelia slowed down, it didn't mean that she gave up her values and her fight for women's equality. She remained a suffrage pioneer and a writer throughout her life, writing for a wide array of periodicals. She led suffrage campaigns in Nebraska and Iowa and served as president of the Iowa Women's Suffrage Association from 1871 until 1873. Amelia died in 1894 at the age of 76 and is buried in Fairview Cemetery in Council Bluffs, Iowa. And although she is far less famous than some other feminists, she did make a significant impact and contribution to the women's movement. You can see her peppered in with other great women of the time period. There is even a statue in Seneca Falls, New York, <gasps> called when Anthony met Stanton. And Amelia Bloomer is right there in the middle introducing them. So that's how I was like, oh, it's true that she introduced they them. Because there's it. a statue of it. I feel like we need to go her story on the road and go see this I statue. Know. And in 2000, there was a children's book published called You Forgot Your Skirt, Amelia Bloomer. <laughs> Women wearing pants did not actually become standard until the 1960s and, i mean this is over a hundred years after amelia proudly displayed her turkish trousers and thanks to the name and all of her work amelia will now always be associated with a woman's right to bear legs <laughs> you mean the second amendment the but for third amendment. not us second amendment right to bear arms yeah so the third amendment is the right to bear legs well no there is another third amendment yeah but okay <laughs> all right the right to bear arms and legs <laughs> second amendment b dot b <laughs> um yeah so that's amelia bloomer it's mainly about bloomerism but i still think it's a really fun i story. think that's a very important story because we need to know why they're named that yes, and it's literally totally her her work on this like periodical magazine is the reason to name that right because here's the thing like some women were just kind of wearing them and she is publishing about them she is writing about them nonstop. she's like i'm gonna put this wood cutting of me in the blue in the bloomers from here until eternity and also like sometimes you just are in the right place at the right time yeah and i think that's what amelia was mm-hmm. okay so let's talk about these ladies together in a little segment we like to call just the two of us wow okay well we'll start from like early on they live no- together <laughs> same period no formal education succeed anyways which right. i always love that i do too because it's not a necessity no There's it's not like uh i know there is a big push to like you're a first generation college student and this that and the other which it is very important because you are making waves in your family but it is not a necessity to have these crazy college degrees to be a successful person no it's not and i also love that they were both surrounded by cool lady circles there were lots of famous women in both of these stories. Like you yes. mentioned Lucretia Mott. Lucretia Mott was obviously like a huge person in the women's whole suffrage, rights, women's abolition, rights movement. Um, Marie Laveau. Yeah. And I just love that there were all these famous people in their stories that were like, because you forget that like sometimes we like to make these women an island mm. and we like to act they're like not there islands. weren't all these other people that were being inspired by them. And Amelia Bloomer is one of them. and. I wish that the Lily was more famous than it is because I think that it's really fucking cool that this 
newspaper by women and for women, the first of its kind, was made by her. Here's what I'm thinking. If uh-huh. there were not thousands uh-huh. of Lucretia Mott and Mary Pleasants and Amelia Bloomers and Kate, Elizabeth Cady Stanton's and Susan B. Anthony's, you can you can drown one. Yeah. You can't smother all of them. You can't. So what we're doing is like painting this picture over the last five years of the fact that you can't get all of us. Yeah. You'll you missed one. Yeah. You missed, you missed one. one. And I was also thinking a lot about women's physical movement mm. because obviously that is the crux of Amelia's story. She goes, "We can't fucking move. We can't move around," and yet. In Mary's story, there is so much physical She's movement. a mover. She is all over the country. But because women of color were expected to move. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There is no excuse for not moving. It's like, I don't care that you have eight skirts on. You're going to fucking do the dishes and sweep the stairs and do all this stuff. It's Work like there the is no break. Right. Because they were expect a lot of them, a lot of them were expected to look like the rest of the women in society and still get done five, ten times the amount of work that were that was happening. For no money. For no money. And with no rights. And then you think about the fact that, like, obviously Mary is very involved in the Underground Railroad. That is a lot of movement. That is a lot of clandestine movement. And She's a conductor. She That's is. like, being a conductor on the Underground Railroad is very dangerous. Yeah very dangerous i mean we know that harriet tubman was carrying around a gun and she was like if you make a noise i will shoot you yeah as we move like that's it yeah i'm sorry because we're all gonna die unless i kill you like that's crazy that is the type of things that mary was doing exactly so it's really interesting that we're talking about women being restricted but also like even though, and that's what makes it even better. It's yeah. like we now have the backstory of how restricted their movement was, especially a woman with as much social clout and status as Mary. Mm-hmm. It's like because I guarantee you she is dressing at the height of fashion. Oh, it, yes. Even when she was in Nantucket. She was Victorian dressing. Exactly. So then you take into consideration now that you have the bloomer background, you're like, oh, shit, she was dressing like that and doing all of this stuff. Like yeah. that's insane she's and I will, espionaging around new orleans and i will for our <laughs> listeners say queen victoria literally died i think in like 1908 or something yeah. so like this is literally this is the victorian, the era. victorian era we're not just yeah. making words up yeah she's a lot she's currently alive and we're dressing as if we're in britain right well and another thing that i really want to talk about is changing legal shit versus cha- changing cultural attitudes even though Mary Ellen Pleasant is changing cultural attitudes, just being the fucking person she is, she is also working very much behind the scenes to change legal status. Mm-hmm. She is working on people's physical papers and like helping them in a very real, concrete way individually. Amelia Bloomer is more so working on the wider range of cultural attitudes. She's like, Let's change the way we dress so that we can change how we move in the world and how we affect the world. And I think that you need both of these things. I agree. Obviously, Mary Ellen Pleasant saw it in her own time where she was like, great emancipation proclamation. Everything's good. I'm going to come out as a black person. I'm going to 
finally just be able to live my life. But she didn't ex- wasn't expecting the cultural reaction. The the the, the worst of white the people. The refusal to accept the laws. And that was something that was really upsetting in her story was like she was just like yeah everything's going to be good now and it just fucking wasn't because you need the cultural adaptation as well as the legal adaptation yeah yeah because both are important because we're talking about people's mindset here now you wouldn't think twice about a woman wearing pants back then it was like whoa this is a crazy cultural thing and it wasn't like a legal matter it was like not illegal to wear Turkish trousers or bloomers, but it was culturally frowned upon. But the same thing happens with pants that happened with people of color mm-hmm. in that once pants became legalized, there are certain states it wasn't. Remember, we did those sisters who oh, were motorcycling right. across the country yeah. and they changed the laws to arrest these women because they were wearing pants. Mm-hmm. The same thing happened to people after the Emancipation Proclamation. Right. It was like, oh, Slavery is illegal, but we're going to find a way. We're, we'll find a way to prosecute you. To make you be, <laughs> you, you as a person be illegal. Yeah. Women as a person couldn't wear things that made them able to work. Mm-hmm. And people of color could not physically show up in a space and just exist. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. Well, and it, and I think it's why you need both like i think it could be easy to look at these two women and say like okay amelia wore kind of pants and like had a newspaper and that was it like you know like obviously like on paper it's like mary ellen pleasant looks so much more and she was so accomplished for a woman of her time i don't want to take that away from her but i also think that it's important to note that like you need women operating at various frequencies you have to you have to because like the movement to change the world like it can't just look one way and that's why intersectionality is so important yes like we do need the rich white women who have privilege to Mm -hmm. say this is wrong and we also need the people of color to say this is wrong and Mm -hmm. we need the biracial people to say this (laughs) is wrong like you need people who have spent time in prison mm-hmm. as fugitives whether it was for a good reason or a bad reason to come out and say this is wrong prison yeah. shouldn't be run like this like everybody's voice matters yeah and like i really love that these were two women living at the exact same time and if you were to guess which woman was a multimillionaire, <laughs> you wouldn't pick the black woman <laughs> you would not pick mary and no, i kind yeah. of love that like you'd yeah. be like oh like because on the surface too it kind of like people assume that like amelia bloomer like invented bloomers bloomers but no. she didn't you she know they were just them. She them. She them. <laughs> um and i i don't know i just love invest like we talk about we try to put women at different time periods against each other to see how things have changed and i kind of love when they end up being from the same time period oh for sure and we can see how differently they move around the world so Anyways, do you have anything? <laughs> no, I think that's good. I think we really hit it. All Except right. Except that they both lived through like really cool things, like that, yeah, abolition, Seneca Falls, yeah, you exactly. know, temperance, Lucretia Mott. <laughs> like the gold rush. Like yeah. they were really in the precipice of history. They were fucking doing it. Yeah. So, who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast people who use the things around them to get what they need. Yeah. I think that 
Mary did what she needed to do. She used Maria Laveau. She mm-hmm. used the men that are wailing. Mm-hmm. She used the the um, Quakers. She went to San Francisco and, and used the gold miners. Like she decided that she was going to exist, and that was it. Yeah. Like, and exist well. Let's take the people <laughs> and make $30 million. Perfect. Cheers. I'm going to toast women who use fashion to make a political statement. Mm. I feel like women have been doing this for a long fucking time, and I fucking love it. Get your bellies out, and girls. I just, like, I think it's really <laughs> cool to use something that some people see as very, very trivial sure. to make a bigger statement. I Cheers. love it. Good. All right, now what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So this is very, like, counterculture <laughs> right now. Okay. So I've been watching Friends with my kids. And I would very much like to say mm-hmm. that uh, I struggle with Friends for a couple things. There are not many people of color. They have a lot of fat jokes, like fat shaming. There's a lot of gay jokes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, taking your own life jokes, which I hate. I hate, I hate, I hate. But the show really holds up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're watching it, and I'm, like, giggling out loud. Like, it's mm-hmm. pretty funny. So if you can place it in time, and also I very stringently, like, watch it with my two privileged white daughters mm-hmm. and remind them that these yeah. are privileged white people mm-hmm. pretending to be under 30. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they're not. Yeah. I like I'm I'm finding it to be very enjoyable and I didn't think I would. Oh, okay. So like my second my second my a billion three watch but my first ever rewatch with my children mm-hmm. is very interesting because I do think it's important that they understand the Ross and Rachel thing. It's the same as yeah. understanding Pride and Prejudice. It's the same mm-hmm. as understanding Jim and Pam. Like, there's a cultural touchstone. It is a cultural touchstone that, like, when people bring it up, it's like, oh, this show was, and this book was written like this mm-hmm. because of the on and off again of Ross and Rachel. Yeah. So I am not saying you take your children back and make them watch every piece <laughs> of shit that ever existed, but we, the three girls and Marjorie in our house, so the four girls in my house, have had a nice time. Mm-hmm. Like, Rewatching it and also together critiquing it. Yeah, I would never throw my child into something that I think is inappropriate. Which I'm like, I'm like, yeah, watch porn, but not friends, right? <laughs> as long as the porn's not abusive, right? Um, yeah, I so I think, I think watching cool things with your kids from the past and pointing out what's wrong is very fun, and we've been doing that, and it's great. Yeah. Because we finished Gilmore Girls and we didn't know what to do, so we moved on to Friends. And I'm Love like, all it. right, maybe next is Scrubs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Scrubs is intense. Uh-huh. <gasps> all right. So I'm going to promote a book that I listened to on your Audible. Of course. <laughs> Be Treed by Emily Henry. This is a book. So I talk a lot about books that have been haunting me. Books that every time I go into Barnes and Noble, they are on the display mm-hmm. and they're like, you should read this book. And sometimes I get a little obstinate. I'm like, well, maybe I don't want to. And then don't I tell read me what them to do, Barnes and so Noble. <laughs> because I thought that this was going to be a very light romp on the beach. And it was, there's like barely any beach time on this book. No, beach read is rough. 
it was so good and so much deeper than I thought it was like the the title of the book now that I've read it is kind of a joke because I and I listened to like the little author note afterwards and she was like when people ask me what Beach Read is about I tell them oh it's like a romance writer and like a deep dark novelist switch genres how fun though it's really fun so she's like when people ask me what the book is about I tell them that when writers ask me what the book is about I say writer's block (laughs) which is so true Mm -hmm. and the it was just so good I really loved it and I don't know I I was it was way different than I thought it was going to be. Well, I have a couple books by Emily Henry uh-huh. on my Audible, mm-hmm. and I think you will appreciate her writing the way you appreciated Christina Lauren. Yes. So good, and just, like, underappreciated, I think. Mm-hmm. And the title, it's kind of like the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's like the title, I think, puts people off. Mm-hmm. but you're really missing out and if that's, you don't engage. that's the point i think it, also it is the point mm-hmm. i think a lot of romance readers are past titles yes like we have all gotten to a point where we realize this genre is important to not mm-hmm. only my mental health but like to the stability of reading and writing like, yeah who cares like it's so fun it's like People, I think, used to make fun of you for reading somebody like Nicholas Sparks or mm-hmm. there's a who's that other super famous who's a little bit older. I'll think of it. James later. Patterson. No, it's a woman. <laughs> okay. um, just a very famous like romance writer. Uh, and it's like uh-huh. people kind of pick on you for it. But it's like, yeah. no, this is a whole thing that like keeps women together yeah <laughs> like their I brain totally it keeps your brain together while you're struggling and men and men of course yeah um who love romance novels so yeah. i beach read is very oh. good i'm glad you read it i'm i am too because i've just been kind of like <clears throat> scrolling through your audible like picking random things to read and this is one of them okay so any or listen to whatever so anyways all right well that's it for us right now but if you want to hang out with us a little bit more and figure out the mysteries of this episode. Join us on Patreon. Oh, buddy. For as little as a dollar a month, you can contribute to our ever-growing cocktail budget and keep the show going and just hang out with us and figure out more about our personal lives. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and X and, and wherever LinkedIn. else and everything. Um, but most of all, we want you to never forget that well-behaved woman don't wear bloomers. No, they don't. And they rarely make history. Goodbye. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.